0: It's good to see everybody here this morning. A couple things before we begin our worship service. We're thankful for all those of you that are visiting with us this morning. We'd like to invite you back again this evening at 6 p.m. and Wednesday at 7. Just a reminder, Vacation Bible School is the 25th and 20, through the 29th of this month. Also, our, we have some uh, adults and junior high and high school at camp this week. So our no, we're down. We don't have a lot of kids here, but we have some. Also, this Wednesday with the kids at camp, the preacher and the youth minister will be at camp. Is that correct? Yes. Nathan Payne. Going to be doing devotional Wednesday night, correct? Good, good. Making sure everybody knew what was doing. And Wednesday night class will probably not be because there's not a lot of people, but we'll check if that makes sense, right? Okay. Also, keep uh, Kristen in your prayers as she goes through her treatments and Keep caroling your prayers. Also, I'd like to read Romans 6 20 through 23 before we begin, if you'd like to follow along. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we are thankful for this beautiful day of life you've given us for your son who came and died for each of us. We're thankful for the opportunity that we can be here at this time to worship you in songs and hear another lesson from your word. We pray, Father, that the things we do are in accordance with your will and pleasing unto you. We ask a special prayer this morning, Father, for Carol that you bless her and be with those that are attending to her. Be with Clinton, give him strength. Also, Father, be with Kristen as she continues to take treatments. Bless James, give him strength. We pray for our others that are sick and are fighting cancers at this time, that you'll watch over them and care for them. Father, we know that through you that new medicines are made often and we pray father that there's some that will be made to help each one of our members that are fighting cancer at this time we ask that you bless them and watch over them we ask you be with john as he leads us into singing and chris as he uh, brings us a lesson and chris as we or rick as he Has the Lord's Supper this morning? Go with us through this service. Forgive us in Thy Son's name, we pray. And Amen. Would you stand for the first song, please?
1: First hymn this morning, number 111. one hundred and eleven. One hundred eleven. Come, we that love the Lord, we're marching is on. <clears throat> we'll sing first, second, and last verse. Come we that of the
2: Lord and that for joy. Join in us all when we accord. Join in us all when we accord, and us.
1: text this morning, number 236. 236, his yoke is easy. We'll sing the first three verses, and then Brother Jeremy will have our scripture reading and prayer.
2: I found my Lord, and he is mine. He won me by his mouth. I'll Him alone. His no, his disease, his hurt, and his heart. I am his foe, I am his love, His service, his life made us take heart. His gladsies never flow. Now, God, His dreams alone oh, oh, ever flow, within my heart is known. His good, his easy, his burden is light. I found his soul, I found his soul. His purpose is my sweetest delight, his blessing ever flow. He's dearer to my heart and I, he found me lost in sin. He found the sea of it was dry, and it became to him. His goad is easy, his burden is high, I found his soul, I found his soul. His purpose
3: is my sweet, heart. His life he his can ever blow. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, we are... Uh, truly thankful for all that you've done for us. We're thankful for another day, for a beautiful day, Father, a day where we can assemble and worship. We're thankful, Father, for the nation that we're in, the freedom that we have um, to come here to do the things that you want us to. There are many, Father, of our number that we are concerned about, that that we're worried about, that are suffering. Uh, Many, Father, who are battling with cancer, many who are battling disease and grief, sickness, uh, we know, Father, you are the great healer, and we pray for your healing for these these people. Give them the strength they need, the, the courage, the uh, encouragement, and the contentment. Father, continue to, uh, to bless us in what we do here today. May it be pleasing to you. Bless us each day of our life, Father, and help us to, to do the things you'd have us to. Take advantage of the opportunities that you give us each day. Tell others about you and your love. And most of all, your son, and we're thankful, Father, for, for what he's done, for what we have through him. And guide us, Father, in all that we do, protect us, keep us safe, and forgive us for our sins. We pray in Christ's name, amen. The scripture I'm reading this morning is from Mark chapter 14, verse 41. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners.
1: Number, hymn number 452. 452. Night with Evan Pinion. <coughs>
2: night with heaven <laughs> Yeah.
4: In Luke, the 24th chapter, we have a group of women coming coming to the gravesite of Jesus to um, anoint him, the body, with spices. And that group of ladies included Mary Magdalene, Johanna, Mary the mother of James, and others. And this was on the first day of the week. Two men, angels, appeared suddenly and said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. But he is risen. Remember how he told you, spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. The scripture says they remembered and returned and reported this to the eleven and all the rest. Verse 10 says to the apostles. Their response was, these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. They must not have remembered. But Peter and John do have enough curiosity to run to the tomb and see for themselves. And at that point, they remembered. Verse 13 says, two of them... Could have been the apostles, uh, could have been others that were with them. I'm thinking that they might have been uh, apostles because of some other events that occur here shortly. We're on their way to Emmaus, which was a town about seven miles from Jerusalem, talking about these events, the risen Christ, and what that meant. Jesus appears to them and joins them, but we have a rather strange statement in verse 16. It says their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. I don't know if he was disguised in some way or this was in some way a miraculous prevention of their being able to recognize him. There must have been a reason for that. The women at the tomb uh, didn't remember or they remembered when they were reminded and Peter and John the same way. The men on the road to Emmaus took Jesus to their house in verses 30 and 31. And then it says this, it came about when he had reclined at the table with them that he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and began giving it to them. Does that sound familiar? It did to them. And it says, and then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Jesus told These apostles, and this is why I think maybe the apostles were there, because nobody else was there to witness the breaking of the bread or would have had that trigger going on in their head. Jesus told them the night that he instituted the Lord's Supper, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. Chapter That was in chapter 14. Chapter 16 says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. So not only was the charge of the apostles to receive the Holy Spirit for new inspiration, it was to recall to their minds all that Jesus had taught them and instructed them and prepared them as they began their mission of establishing the church once he was gone. Acts 2, verse 4, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak different tongues, as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. Verse 42 says, The apostles' teaching became that all-truth that the Holy Spirit was going to deliver to them and through them. They remembered everything that Jesus had said to them and done in their presence. When it says that their eyes were prevented from recognizing him, I don't know how much of that, as I said a while ago, was their blindness or their misunderstanding or just not thinking. Just before his ascension, it seems that the apostles' eyes were blinded, and they ask him, uh, is this the time when your kingdom's going to come? And and they still had, in Acts 1-9, the wrong conception about what the kingdom was and what it was going to be. Shortly, however, their eyes were opened, just like the two that Jesus encountered on the road to Emmaus. They changed the world forever with their recollection of his teaching and that which was revealed to them through the Holy Spirit. They remembered. Our eyes are opened and we read and understand his will. And then we render subsequent obedience to what we read. Our eyes are open this morning as we see the body and blood before us like they remembered when Jesus kind of reinstituted the Lord's Supper or at least did something that struck their imagination and their remembrance of how he instituted the Lord's Supper in that house where Jesus was with those two men. We now, as we partake, remember of all that goes into this sacrifice and its impact. So think about that delayed revelation those two had when he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and began giving it to them. And after Jesus vanishes, they say to themselves, were our hearts not burning within us when he was speaking to us on the road while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Jesus gave them that major clue when he broke the bread exactly as he did in that upper room. And we're gathered to partake of that institution that that Jesus established uh, in the upper room some 2,000 years ago today. The question is, are our hearts burning in any way? Uh, Are our minds and emotions stirred in any way as we remember So let us examine ourselves as as we partake of these emblems and let each of us do what we can to honor Jesus and the sacrifice that both he and God made on our behalf. Let's pray as we give thanks for the bread. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this moment that we have set aside during our worship service. But in actuality is our purpose for coming here, to remember Jesus, as Acts 27 tells us, they gathered together on the Lord's day to observe this institution, this remembrance feast. We pray, Father, that as we partake of this bread, that you will bless it, that we will partake of it in a way that would please you, and that we would, to the best of our ability, have our hearts and our thoughts focused on what we're doing and that our that our emotions would be involved in this as well. We ask this prayer in your son's name. Amen. give thanks for the fruit of the vine. And Father, we also give thanks for that precious blood that was shed on our behalf and for us and for all of mankind. So that we might have a way to have remission of sins, forgiveness of sins from you. So that we could one day be with you and him and all those who are saved in heaven throughout eternity. We ask that you bless this cup as we partake it. Be with us as we attempt to focus our thoughts on that marvelous and selfless sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf on the cross. In his name we pray, amen. This concludes the Lord's Supper, um, but at this time we use, normally would pass plates and, and as men were distributing things and making it convenient. But right now we take this time to remind us that um, the effort to spread the gospel in this community uh, comes at a cost, and that cost sometimes involves um, funds. The New Testament sets up Uh, Pattern for how we are to deliver that gospel, how we as a group are supposed to function, and that's through the free will offering of those who uh, are are members here. And at this time, I I would just take a time to remind you that we have yellow um, containers in the back, and if you have uh, your offering, you can drop that in on your way out if you have not already. Let's let's bow for a uh, word of prayer of thanksgiving. Our Father in heaven, we, we thank you for uh, all that we have and do and are in this life. We thank you for the opportunity to live as comfortably as we do. And we pray that we would have the appropriate attitude toward those material blessings that we have in this life. We pray, Father, that, that each of us will examine ourselves as, as we uh, comply with the pattern that we have in the new testament to give on the first day of the week we pray father that uh, you would be with us now and through the rest of this worship that everything that we do father would be in accordance with your will and be in spirit and truth as we worship we ask this prayer in your son's name amen
1: Let us all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 671. 671. There's a royal banner. It's at this time that the young children may go to the children's Bible hours.
2: There's a royal banner given for display to the soldiers of the King. As an inside pair, we lift it up today. On the spring, someone's waiting
1: Please, receive it. Invitation hymn this morning, number 740, 740. What will you do with Jesus this time, Brother Chris? Good
5: morning. Good morning. Happy 4th of July. It's exciting. We got to hear all kinds of fireworks last night. Enjoy those. I hope you're having a good day. Uh, be turning to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. We started um, this chapter last week. We're not going to finish it today. We're in the middle of it. Mark 14 is, is, is a very large chapter, but it's also power-packed. Uh, as we near the end of Jesus' life, it's like Mark just tries to put everything he can into uh, the text. And so we need to focus a little bit more on each one of the, uh, the verses throughout this, throughout this chapter um let's start in verse 32 jesus is in the garden of gethsemane he's just gotten there uh, he has done the lord's supper with his disciples uh, in the in the previous verses uh, he's already told the disciples that one of them will be the one to betray him and now he has gone across uh, the uh the, the kidron brook uh, and as is on top of the Mount of olives they're in the recesses of the olive grove, he finds a quiet place to pray. That's his M.O. That's he, he likes to go to this place to pray. It's quiet. It's dark. There's no one else there. Um, this is approaching midnight as he is praying, and the soldiers come into the garden. They arrest him. Those things happen around midnight. So this it's very late in the evening. Uh, it's very dark. It's quiet. There's no one else there. And so Jesus has found a quiet place to pray, to be with the Father in the last... ...hours of his life here on earth. So let's read what he says here. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John... ...and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful... ...even to death, remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell to the ground... ...and he prayed that if it were possible... The hour might pass from him. Let's just stop right there because there's some things that we need to unpack from from this text so far. So he has left the eight disciples minus Judas. Judas has already gone off to, to, to find the chief priests and the Jewish leadership in order to betray Jesus for those 30 pieces of silver. So he leaves, Jesus leaves the eight disciples here in the Garden of Gethsemane somewhere. We're not told exactly where. You can go today and find olive trees uh, there that are around 2,000 years old. Right after this event, about 65 A.D., Rome's going to burn just about to the ground. And it's going it's to take this, this garden too. But some olive trees apparently survived uh, or were planted there again. And you can go see those things today. And I'm told they're very impressive. That's where Jesus is uh, during during this this time period uh, here in Jerusalem, and so uh, he leaves the eight at this little section in Gethsemane, and he brings he cuts out part of the eight, his inner circle, these three men that I don't I don't know if he loves them more or if uh, they are uh, more of his, they're his inner circle. He spends more time with them. He pays more attention to them. And so Peter, James, and John go off with Jesus. They leave the eighth there, and, they, and these, these three come with Jesus farther deep into the, the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's going to look at Peter and, and James and John, and, and he's got some words to say to them. My soul, in verse 34, is very sorrowful. Even to death, if you look up, the, into the previous verse in thirty three, it says that he's greatly distressed and troubled. We know from the other accounts that it's during this event, during these prayers, that sweat, uh, sweat drops like bloods going to be pouring down his his face. He is incredibly anxious during this time. And in fact, if you if you underline in your Bibles that word troubled in verse thirty three, he, he he's anxious. I mean, he's just incredibly anxious. Uh, In the word greatly distressed, he's moved to intense emotion. You might say that he's on the verge of a panic attack. Uh, He is feeling some very large emotions uh, right here. And then he says, And my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Now, you're going to want to circle watch. And, And as we read through this text, circle every time you see watch. Because it's an important word uh, here in this text. You remember from the previous lessons, uh, especially uh, Mark chapter 13, where Jesus talked about uh, the second coming there at the end of Mark 13. He talks about the second coming. Most of Mark 13 is about the destruction of Jerusalem, right? But the last little section there in Mark 13, he talks about the second coming when Jesus is going to come back. And he gives us a parable there at the end of it, and he says you need to watch, right? He's saying you need to be prepared. He's using the exact same word in the exact same sense right here in Mark chapter 14 uh, to Peter, James, and John, but it's specific to Peter, and, and I think we can draw that out in just a second. He wants Peter, specifically Peter, although James and John are important to, to do this as well, but it's specific to Peter, I think, here, so... Underline watch. Maybe make a note that he's talking to Peter here. He goes a little farther into the garden. He leaves the eight back here. They're praying. He leaves the three right here. They're praying. And he goes on even farther into the garden. And he prays uh, that this cup could pass from him. He does not want to die on the cross. Notice that. And again, last week we talked a lot about how Peter wants to follow Jesus, but he's not going to, right? He's going to deny. So he wants to follow, but he's not going to. Jesus doesn't want to follow God, his will here on the cross, but he's going to. And so you see this distinction between Peter's selfishness and Jesus's selflessness. And Mark's a big fan of the back and forth there. He wants you to grab a hold of that because sometimes... We're selfish. We pick ourselves over his agenda. And Jesus is the, is the example, uh, excellence here, of uh, choosing, himself, uh, choosing God's agenda over himself. There are times when your agenda, what you want and what God wants, are going to butt heads, right? That happens here in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the first time in all of history that that has ever happened to Jesus, let that sink in for a second. This is the first time where His will, what He wanted, and what God wanted weren't the same thing. That in and of itself has got to be... It kind of takes the breath out of you, doesn't it? It kind of makes you stop and think. But So Jesus has finally come to the point where He doesn't want what the Father wants, but guess what? He's going to choose what the Father wants over what He wants even though it's not in his best interest. Mark wants you to get that because there are times, a great many times in our life, when his agenda is not going to work out well for us. You see that an awful lot in the first century when people were, Christians were tested for their faith, they were killed for their faith, staying faithful led to their deaths. Mark has to get that through our heads. Remember, he's writing to the Roman Christians right during the thick of the persecution that happens in 65 AD or right before it, I think. Because when Rome burns, uh, Nero is emperor at that time, he's Caesar, and he's a little unhinged. And so most scholars think that he burns Rome down himself. He burns his own capital city down. Um, for whatever reason, but then he has to blame someone, so he blames the Christians. And so then he starts this incredible persecution for the Christians. All of that is, I think, probably just months away from when Mark writes this gospel to the Romans. And they're in the thick of it, right? And so choosing God, His agenda, over their own agenda is about to become incredibly important. It's what they need to hear, right? Right? This is an incredibly timely gospel for the Romans. But guess what? It's also an incredibly timely gospel for the Romans in the 21st century. You and me. Because we need to hear that thought too. We have to choose him, his agenda, over our own. Even when his agenda is not in our best interest. Because ultimately, his agenda is in our best interest. So all that to say, Jesus goes a little farther into the garden. He says to Peter, remain here. Watch. Watch. He's going to go on into the garden. He's going to pray. He comes back uh, out of the garden after he says this prayer. We don't know how long he prays, um, but he prays for a, a while. Uh, and then he comes back out and, and he's looking for Peter, James, and John. And he finds them sleeping. Um, so look in verse uh, 37. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon... Peter's always in trouble when Jesus calls him Simon. (laughs) Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch? There it is again, right? Circle it. Watch. Could you not watch one hour? Watch. There it is again. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Wednesday night during our devotional, we talked about where Jesus comes in in John chapter 21, and he reinstates Peter as as a disciple after Peter's Three-time denial of Jesus. That's coming up. We're not going to get to it this week. Saving the denial and the crucifixion for next week. The the trial and the crucifixion for next week. But uh, Peter denies Jesus three times. Jesus asks him, does he really love him? Three times in John 21. You see the exact same thing here uh, in in Mark 14 with this, this very quick repetition of, Watch. Watch, Peter. Remember what Jesus meant by watch earlier? When he was talking about the parable, when he was telling the parable in Mark chapter 13, he was saying, you need to be aware. Be vigilant. There's an awful lot of stuff that's coming at you. Satan's just throwing everything he can at you. This is Satan's touchdown, right? I mean, this is is when he wins uh, everything. He has to think that he's won, right? If he can kill Jesus, if he can get God's own people to reject the Savior, Satan's won, and it, it's, it's happening, right? He's worked in such a way to motivate Judas and the chief priests and everyone else to, to choose their own agenda over him, and it's working. And so Satan's got to be, he's got his cheerleading squad, right? He's excited. This, is, this looks like the win for him. And Jesus is saying, "Listen, you've got to watch." That's a that's a word we need to hear too, and it's a word. Interestingly enough, later on in his life, Peter is pretty fond of. If you if you write in your Bible, make a note here next to these, these these watch these three times. Peter Jesus tells Peter to watch. Reference the over to First Peter chapter five verse eight. Peter's going to say, "You need to watch. Be vigilant." Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter says, I've been there. I, 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 Satan threw everything he had at me and I failed because I wasn't paying attention to what really mattered. What was Peter paying attention to? Himself. His own agenda. Keeping himself safe. You'll see that in just a second. Had Peter stayed in the garden, he would have ended up very much like Jesus. I think I can prove that. We'll get to that in just a second. But he was out for himself. Even though he said, Jesus, I love you more than anything else. I'm ready to die for you. I'll never betray you. He's out for himself. But that won't always be the case. Maybe today you're out for yourself. Maybe you've been looking out for number one, right? That's not not, That's not biblical. He says, you look out for Jesus' agenda. You live for His agenda, not your own. So we have to watch. And then after, after this admonition, Jesus leaves again, goes back out into the garden. He does this three times. He goes, comes out and finds him sleeping. He goes back and he prays three times. Um, and this last time in verse 40 is something you need to see. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. So he's, he says again, why are you doing sleeping? And they didn't, they didn't know, they didn't have an answer. And he came to them the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hours come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. You might think that Jesus says when it is, a, it is enough, you might think that he's talking to the disciples. He's not. He's not. He's talking... I guess to himself, because I think he's refer- when he says it's enough. I think he's referencing his prayers because what's he been praying all night? Let this cup pass for me. I don't want to do this. There's got to be another way, right? That's, that's, that's what his prayer is. He doesn't. Mark doesn't tell us. The rest of the gospels don't tell us anything else. He prayed outside of let this cup pass for me. Yet not what I want, not my agenda, but yours. Even though it's going to hurt me, even though it's going to cost me, I mean literally his life, it's going to cost me everything, I want what you want. But here, as the disciples have fallen asleep again for the third time, he looks up and he just kind of has to hear the Roman soldiers coming. He can probably see the torches. He knows that the time has come. His plea has been... For the Father to find a different way. Some other way to save mankind, to bring us to Himself. Some other way, there's got to be some other way, Father. Is there another way? No. When Jesus sees the lanterns, He hears the Roman soldiers coming, they bring, Mark calls it a great multitude, a great crowd. And if we're supposed to read great crowd there as we do every other time, Mark mentions a great crowd. There are thousands of people in this crowd. Which makes sense because the Romans were told that Jesus is the new king. He's a revolutionary and he no doubt has an army at his back. and He's going to cause an awful lot of trouble. So the Romans bring out the entire garrison. And they're not going to play with this, uh, with this sedition. That's the one thing the Romans can't take. They will not allow you to overthrow the government. And that's what they've been told. That's the lie that they've been told by the Jewish priests and the chief priests and the Jewish leadership. So they bring out, Mark says, a great multitude. And So Jesus no doubt hears this army thundering through the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he does that, he's got his answer, doesn't he? Father, give, is there another way? Let this cup pass for me. He's been pleading, but now what? He's gotten his answer, and the answer is no. There's not another way. You're going to have to go through this, you're going to have to sacrifice. It's interesting that up in verse 33, Jesus was greatly distressed. He's troubled. He's kind of in the middle of what we might think of as a panic attack. But after this moment, when he says, It's finished, it's enough, the hour has come, Son of Man's betrayed into the hands of sinners, he's serene, he's calm the rest of the time. And it kind of amazes the guys who were in charge of his trial, like Pilate, when he says, Don't, don't you have anything to answer here? Like, aren't you going to defend yourself? Any reasonable person would defend themselves in a capital crime. You're not even saying a word. Jesus is completely calm. The rest of the the rest of the trial. And it is something about prayer, doesn't it? It teaches us something that that we struggle with, that we struggle to 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 obey. That when we pray, and we pray about the things that distress us. And, tru- and trouble us. Is my mic not on? It's not on, is it? I'll stand here. Okay. So when we pray about the things that distress us and trouble us, all that anxiety, all that, that fear, all those things, we bring to the Father. That's what we should do with those things, right? <laughs> We should, he wants to know those things, and we bring them to him and lay them at the foot of the cross, and then what? It's his, it's his responsibility. He's going to take care of it. He's going to work things out for our benefit. So we should be calm. Things are not going to go the way Jesus wanted them to go here. But after this moment, after he's gotten his answer, he's calm. He's not going to allow any of that other stuff to bother him. That's something we need to pay attention to. Verse 43. Mark 14, 43. He says, immediately while he was still speaking. So, as he's saying, it's enough. The son of Man's betrayed into the hands of sinners. Judas came. He's one of the twelve. Remember, Jesus said, one of the twelve is going to betray me. Mark's saying, it was Judas. He's one of the twelve. And with him, a crowd of with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now, why is Mark so specific here with the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders? Well, he's so specific because back in eight thirty one, Mark 8.31, Jesus prophesied that this exact group would be the ones who rejected him. Mark saying it's coming true. The prophecy Jesus gave in 8.31 is, is here. It's happening. Now the chief priest describes and the elders have rejected him. Verse 44, now the betrayer had, had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him and lead him away under the guard. Can you imagine? Like Judas could have chosen any signal he wanted. Why in the world did he choose a kiss? That must have broken Jesus more than anything else. He gets, I think, that someone has to betray him. That's that's been set up from the beginning of time. Why would a kiss? This symbol of family, friendship, love has been turned in and perverted into this, this betrayal. And when he came, verse 45, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. We know that was Peter from from the other Gospels. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple, teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the Scriptures be fulfilled. So this army, this Roman army, this elite fighting force... I mean, think Seal, Seal Team 6 has come into the garden, and they've captured Jesus. And Peter draws the sword. He cuts off the servant of the high priest. He cuts off his ear. And Jesus says, no, no, no. We know from the other Gospels, Jesus puts the ear back on. So Peter's kind of like, the damage that I inflicted, you healed. What are we doing here? I thought this was a revolution. I thought we were going to take over Jerusalem. and Everything was going to go back to the way it was under David. And Jesus says, you still don't get it. But then he kind of looks at, at, the, at the, the, the army, the chief priests, and the, the Jewish leadership. And he says, why are you doing this by stealth? Because they kind of had to do it by stealth, right? Because the people who were going to throw a fifth. They come in and, and seize them any other way. They've got to do the kangaroo court. They've got to do this in a sneaky way. But Jesus says, I was with you every day. Last well, several days I've been teaching in the temple. You never said a word to me. You could have arrested me there. But here you come at night on the day before Passover, trying to arrest me. He just kind of lets it hang on the air and says, okay, you guys know that's not fair, but let's let the Scriptures be fulfilled. I want you to see that this has been something God had in plan from the very beginning of time. A lot of people will say that, well, Jesus' crucifixion was a, a plan B, kind of a, a secondary thing, um, something that God had not planned. But since the Jews rejected Jesus, then uh, he allows him to be killed. And um, But the initial plan was to set up the, the Davidic kingdom, and Jesus was going to rule on David's throne. He was going to kick the Romans out, but since the Jews rejected him, now he's, he's going to... Uh, allow himself to be sacrificed, and that is just not the case. Uh, Jesus says the scriptures have been saying this since the very beginning of time God himself was going to sacrifice uh, himself so that we could be with him forever. In verse 50, he says, And they all left him and fled. They all ran away. You kind of see Peter trying to jumpstart the revolution with that sword and cutting off the high priest's ear, but it just doesn't work. Jesus puts it back and After that, he he doesn't know what to do. He's kind of confounded. I don't don't get it. Everything I thought I knew was true is not true, and I just don't know what to do now. And so the moment the handcuffs, I guess, get on Jesus, the disciples just are so astounded. They don't don't know what to do, and so they, they run. Verse 51, is our last verse for, for today, it says, A young man followed him, and with, with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Most scholars, I, and I agree, think that this, is, that this is John Mark. This is the guy that wrote the gospel. He's a young man, probably a teenager uh, at this point. He's following Jesus. He, he and his mom live in Jerusalem. Uh, they're going to become active members in the Jerusalem congregation after uh, Pentecost about 50 days from this from this point uh so he's a young man and he's he's apparently interested in what jesus has to say and he follows the disciples the apostles and jesus out into the garden and he's kind of hanging out in the recesses the shadows of the garden and uh and so when when jesus is captured he he kind of stays back the rest of the apostles leave but he stays back and he's grabbed, and they're, they're trying to uh, to arrest him as well. But he's able to get away, and he runs away, and the rest is history. But what I want you to see from that is, this is what exactly what would have happened to the disciples had they stayed in the garden. They would have been arrested too. They would have gotten exactly the same treatment as Jesus has gotten. Now, all this to say, what, what's going on here? One, one of the things, and there's a lot of lessons that we can and should take from from Mark 14. This, this passage is. But one of the things that I want you to see is. The isolation of the Messiah. Mark pictures Jesus as. Isolated. and In kind of every respect. Uh, back in in 1441. Jesus is betrayed into the hands of sinners. He's got to do it all on his own. No one else can do this. No one else can offer this sacrifice. He, he's there by himself. Back in ten. Mark 10, 40, James and John want to help bear the burden, right? They view it as taking leadership roles. But Jesus says, you can't, you can't drink this cup that I'm about to drink. <coughs> he has to drink it all on his own. No one else can shoulder that burden. Um, he's alone and he fills it in the garden. They all left him. They all fled here and in verse uh, 49, 50. His final words on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Are those of of loneliness. I think it's important for us to see that because if we're going to follow, we're going to experience, experience the exact same fallout Jesus does here. If you're content to fill a pew and come on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, and not do anything else, you're probably not going to experience a lot of the rejection that Jesus experienced here. Satan's already got you. He's pretty happy with with your experience in Christianity. You're not doing anything. You're not making a difference in the kingdom. You're coming and filling a pew, right? But if we're active, if we're devoted, if we're living the life that he's called us to live, if we're going and telling people about him, if we're sacrificing ourselves, if we're choosing his agenda over ourselves every single day, guess what happens? Satan starts... Hurting us, he starts throwing obstacles in our path. He starts looking for ways to take us out, and one of the ways that I think he uses for us is is this this fall at the persecution that arises when devoted disciples are who we ought to be, when we live the life that he's called us to live, when we choose him over ourselves. Satan throws everything at us he can to get us to, to trip up, to fall, because we're not watching. We're not paying attention. We're paying attention to ourselves, not to him, right? We have to choose him over ourselves. This isolation that Jesus experienced, we'll experience too. It's a foregone conclusion. If we live the life that he lived, we'll experience the same type of Isolation. We're alone. Jesus says that the the way is broad, right? King James translation says broad. It's huge. That leads to destruction. There's an awful lot of people down there. And there's not any obstacles. It's easy to go down that direction. But what? The way that leads to life. It's narrow. There's not many people on that path. It's hard. You experience rejection. The devotion that's necessary for for that path. It's hard. But it's necessary. Because that path is the only one that leads to life. So he says, You want life? You've got to choose Jesus over yourself. You've got to choose his agenda over your own. Filling a pew is great, it's a good start, right? But it's not nearly enough. The devotion that we have to experience as his. People ought to change us and transform us and fill every aspect of our lives. It ought to change us. And I think that's what he's demanding from us here. As we notice how isolated Jesus was just by himself, we're going to be isolated too. And we need to be transformed. So this morning, maybe you're struggling with The obstacles that Satan throws in our path. The good news is he's only throwing obstacles in your path because you're doing what's right. You're here. You're trying, right? If you weren't here and you weren't trying, he wouldn't be throwing obstacles in your path. He wouldn't care because he's already got you. So if you're experiencing a tough time, that's good news in one sense because you know that Satan's trying to get you to come over to his side, he's trying to trip you up. He's trying to make you watch something else other than Jesus' agenda. And so if you've, if you've been struggling this morning, we want to pray with you that you can overcome, that you can live the life that Jesus has called you to live. If you need to be baptized this morning, having your sins washed away and accepting Him as your Savior, we want to do that for you. And we want to help in any way we can. If you have any need, why don't you come as we stand and sing.
1: Jesus is standing
2: in Pilate's hall, where He forsaken, betrayed by all. and body and the silent call. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus, my friend? No tool you cannot Someday your heart will be asking, "Oh friend, what will he do with me?" Jesus is standing on trial still. You can be false to him.
6: couple announcements before we're dismissed. A bridal plan for Grace Hutchison and fiance Ryan Guttrell, July 18th here at the building from two to four. See your bulletin for details. Upcoming baseball road trip. There's a sign up sheet on the four year board for the road trip scheduled July 23rd and 24th deadline to sign up is the 14th see Chris. If you have any questions, this is Ford Hill camp week. So keep all of our campers and staff in your prayers. Uh, VBS is coming up July 25th through the 29th. Teachers and helpers are needed. There is a sign-up sheet on the foyer board, so sign up for teaching there. And the grass is still growing. Um, If you can mow some grass, see James. Uh, Prayer list, remember to keep Carol and Kristen in your prayers. Also, Libby Mayo, former Fairland football coach, Jim Mayo's wife, had her second stroke while in the hospital. Continue to keep Rusty Hank, Randy Ash, Steve Ware, Dennis Haney, Tracy Hamrick, and others on the bulletin uh, in your prayers at this time. Is there any announcements that need to be made? If not, we will have a closing song and a closing word of prayer.
1: Let's please stand again. We'll sing 660, There Is a Habitation. We'll sing the first and third verse, and Brother Joe Galloway will lead us in prayer.
2: There is a hand of the
7: please dear, kind and gracious Heavenly Father we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather here and to worship you to let you know father that we love you and we want to do your will father we ask that you would be with those that have been mentioned this morning those that are sick those that are hurting Please bless Carol and bless Kristen. Father, be with all the others and help them to return to us. Father, our hearts are heavy with the things that are going on in our country today. We pray that your word would have the effect in our nation that we might always have the freedom to worship you father we pray that you would give us strength to be the kind of people you'd have us to be we pray father that you would be with the leaders of our country that they would make the right decisions that our nation might turn back to you Father, thank you for the leaders of the church here. Bless and strengthen them. Encourage them and help us to support them. Father, as they lead us, please bless them, thank you. Your son means so much to us. Without him, we are nothing and there's no reason for us to be here. Father, we, Love him as we love you and appreciate the sacrifice he made. Bless us, Father, as we leave this place with safety. Give us the intention and the direction to expand your influence in the community. Go with us as we leave. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: You work them over, like I said,